afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now is Patrick Schwenk. He and his wife, Ruth, have dedicated their lives to local church ministry, as well as online ministry. They uh, found popular blogs for thefamily.org and thebettermom.com, and also a brand new podcast, Root Like Faith. Um, Patrick is a pastor of nearly 20 years and the author and co-author of In a Boat in the Middle of a Lake trusting the God who meets us in our storm. Patrick and Ruth have been married for over 20 years, live in Ann Arbor, uh, and um, their four children, two hamsters, and a loyal lab. Black or golden? Golden. Okay, <laughs> yeah, very nice. Well, Pat, good to have you here. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. I, I mentioned the listeners earlier, you and I, were, we've been friends, and you, we were talking um, a few weeks ago, and um, I learned that you were once again battling yeah. Cancer. Yep. Uh, this is after you once thought uh, it had been licked. Yeah. Uh, and it hit me at that time that most of my interviews with people uh, who have lived with great uncertainty and threats, I I talk to them after it's all over. Mm. And I thought it would be good to talk with you in the midst of this yep. because the perspective has. I've had my health difficulties too. Yep. Perspective may change once you're through the storm, but in the midst of it, yeah. I want to hear about it. So, if you don't mind, uh, Patrick, t- tell us a little bit about uh, your you and Ruth and what your family is doing, your ministry, and um, you had five miscarriages. Yeah. So, I mean, you had a lot. Yeah, trouble. Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I, I just want to say thanks for for having me on. I've been a fan of the show. I've listened to the show for a number of years, and like you were saying, we've developed a, a friendship, you know, yeah. over the last year and a half. And had lunch. I think I still owe you lunch. We had lunch just before COVID hit, and <laughs> so um, I owe you one. We'll go to McDonald's. <laughs> but um, so it's an honor to be on today, and and I just want to say up front, I'm I'm not an expert on suffering. I understand that as you were saying, you've you've you know had your battles, and I know your listeners are. Um, maybe in the midst of things that are far more serious than, than what we've been through. And so I just want to state that up front, that it's with great humility that that we share our story and uh, just know that that we are fellow companions limping along with many yeah. of your listeners, yep. just trying to do our best by God's grace to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so just really praying that our conversations and encouragement to those that, that are listening, they're in their own uh, boat in the middle of a lake. And um, and so our our journey, we, we've been through a, v- a variety of things over the years. You know, my wife has had, you know, five miscarriages. And, um, but, you know, as, as, as it relates to the book that we wrote, In a Boat in the Middle of a Lake, um, it really, we wrote the book really in response to my cancer diagnosis, right. like you were sharing. Right. And so we had moved, my wife is from Ann Arbor, and we had moved back into this area 2015, 2016 to be a part of a new church. Where, where were you before? And we were in Bryan, Ohio, mm-hmm. and I was pastoring there. Uh, most of my, most of our marriage and ministry was in the Toledo, Ohio area. Mm-hmm. And so we moved back here, and I was perfectly healthy. I was an athlete. I mean, all of these, I was eating right, doing all the things you, you should be doing. You look healthy. I look, I look you know, and, and then I um, was a part of it, and everything sort of fell. I turned 40, and uh, everything sort of went downhill from there. But um, it was when I was 43, it was on January 17th, 2018, when I was diagnosed with a, with a rare type of blood cancer. 
And I, you know, in the months leading up to that, I knew something was wrong with my body. I sort of joke that when you turn 40, just everything sort of hurts. And, and so there was some of that, but I knew this was different. Um, there, there was something unique about what I knew was going on in my body and I couldn't put my finger on it. So I went through, you know, months and months of, of, you know, just trying to figure out what that was. And long story short, um, I injured my left hip, not once, but twice, uh, in the course of a week. And the, and the pain became so severe, my left hip that most Sunday mornings when I was preaching, I had to sit down. It was just too difficult to stand wow. for, you know, for a half hour. Yeah. And um, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't lift my left leg on my own. So the pain became so severe. I finally went in to see my doctor. Uh, they did an X-ray and then an MRI. The MRI revealed a, a lesion or a tumor um, deep in my hip socket. And so that was sort of the first clue that um, this was something serious. I'm and, just curious. Um, if you're having this kind of chronic pain, such that you had to preach from a chair. Yeah. How, why did it take you so long to go see a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was, yeah, I should have gone sooner, but I, I mean, that it all happened fairly quickly. I mean, okay. it was November when I injured my left hip. And then by December, I was in to see the doctor. Oh, okay. So it was, it was shorter right. than, than it sounds. <laughs> okay. And, and got the MRI then just before Christmas and got that call that, hey, mm. we found a tumor. So I went through Christmas of that year wow. not knowing what was going on, had another MRI in January. And so it was then January 18th that lab work confirmed that it was a, it was a um, an unusual type of blood cancer for somebody my age. Usually, and people so, seventy years old or so. Correct, get it, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm I'm sort of in a minority of people that, that typically get this kind of blood cancer. So I went through five months of, of frontline treatment, trying to kick the cancer back as far as they could. It, yeah. it consisted of weekly, you know, treatment. Had two stem cell transplants at, at um, you know CS Mott Hospital here in Ann Arbor. Yeah. Had one in July of 2018, then With one your in own October. Stem cells? Yes, my own yeah. stem cells. Mm-hmm. Yep, and so um, went through that, and we put the cancer. You know, praise God. You know, by by His grace, put the cancer into remission, and enjoyed you know almost two and a half years of remission. Yeah. And now we knew that this is an incurable cancer. It's a treatable cancer, but it's an it's incurable. And so you kind of live with that that awareness that it it could come back at any time. You did, and so I think even when we knew that the cancer was in remission, you sort of always live with that what if. You have that fear. So but, there's not the five-year rule doesn't, doesn't it, come No, here. no, unfortunately not. But yet at the same time, we, we thought, boy, this is if it does come back, it'll be years down the road. Mm-hmm. And and so it was almost a year ago then. It was, it was back in June. I was doing some landscaping with my son. And I didn't know it at the time, but I broke my hip or broke my, uh, my rib uh-huh. um, digging holes. And went through several months just kind of trying to let it heal itself. Yeah, yeah. Only to come to find out that it was it was the the cancer had returned, um. and so that's um, what had compromised you know the bones and led me to to you know fracture that that rib. And so as you were saying, you know we we found ourselves uh, in another boat in the middle of a lake. Wow. Uh, battling that this this cancer again, and so that's that's sort of the short story of of where we're at now. So you're um, are you undergoing treatment? I am. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm I just finished. In fact, I had treatment yesterday. Um, I go in every Monday and uh, going through a kind of a three drug cocktail, if you will, to put it back into remission, hopefully. What's and so about 13 weeks into a 16 week treatment. How's the, how's the how does the, that cocktail make you feel? It not great. Yeah. Not great. I mean, there there are several days during the week that um, that are pretty difficult. In challenging and uh, and like you know every med- medicine is is a blessing and a curse. It's a double edged sword. Yep, yep. And um, and so you feel the effects of that in your body. And yeah. so I think you know I think for so long we 
as we've been back in this in this season, you know, I, as I was sharing when I stopped by, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that that you know sometimes we we look at at suffering and trials as this parentheses to our life, and if I just get around this, it or get through it, I'll get back to my normal life. This is that this is a incredibly important point. Yeah, I, I think I know I I do I still do this, and I know better. Yeah, but. I always look at suffering like an interruption to what That's I'm right. supposed to be doing. Yep. And uh, it only it, I have to really bring myself up short and say, hey, wait a minute. This is what you ought to be doing. Right. Handling this suffering. Yep. So t- tell me, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I mean, is that just, do we do that because, uh, you know, we think suffering is incidental to human life. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it's especially difficult for those of us that that you know live where we live and at the time that we live in because suffering is so, you know, for the most part, you know, it, it's it's not um, as common maybe in different times of history or different right. parts of the country, yeah. and so yeah. it does. It feels like a great intrusion, and and yet when you look at the scriptures and you look at men and women who've come before us. You know the, the great cloud of witnesses. Um, they they suffered in in incredible ways, and um, and so I, I think that you, it's easy for us to sort of fall prey to that idea that that suffering is an interruption to to the real life that we want to get back to, and it it can feel like a parenthesis. And yet I think God has just really reminded me, especially as we're going through it again. No, this this is my life. This isn't an interruption. God. Um, you know, suffering wasn't a part of his plan, and yet God has a great way of redeeming our suffering. And, yeah. and of course, we see that most, um, you know, significantly in the cross. Right. But but God uses our suffering in profound ways to change us, to transform us, and ultimately to give us Himself. And so, this isn't an interruption. This is, I think, oftentimes a very redemptive way um, where, where God is just changing us and molding us in ways that we maybe couldn't be changed and molded apart from suffering. That's <clears throat> that's. That's the opinion that I've come to hold, which is that um, God is doing what needs to be done to form us so we become who he created us and redeemed us to be. Here's the question I have for you, though. Doesn't the suffering seem disproportionate to the good changes that might come? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the verses that that has been so, um, uh, you know, I think encouraging, um, challenging is is Romans eight verse yep. eighteen, yeah, right? That's you right. know, where, where, that's where I was going. Yeah, yeah. Where, where Paul says, you know, my my present suffering, it's not worth comparing, right? That, yes. that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And boy, that's a, and that's not to minimize, you know, anybody's suffering or pain no. or loss. Um, and, and yet to have that perspective that, that our little sufferings, um, don't even compare with what awaits for us someday. Like that is just mind boggling. And I thought, you know, I went in for my, my, my most re I've had, I think five or six bone marrow biopsies now. And those are for anybody that's had a bone marrow biopsy. Those are not, those are not fun experiences. I don't look forward to them. I I remember being with my mom when she had one shortly before she passed away. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, being by her bedside and, and holding her hand, um, is she had that um, uh, procedure done. Yeah. And and as I was in for my, my most recent bone marrow biopsy, I thought a lot about her and what a model she was in suffering and, and trusting God. And, and, and my mind was was drawn to, of course, Jesus on the cross. And in and, and this passage, Romans 8, 18, that this is so small in comparison to what awaits yeah. us. Yeah. 
And I think that has been such an encouragement to me um, that we really do have a future. There really is coming a day that Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. Um, he's going to stop the hurt. He's going to do away with death and pain. And that is such an incredible encouragement, I think, to us as followers of Jesus. We're in the midst of what seems like um, just incredible, incredible loss, painful loss. Let's talk a little bit about being, being in pain itself. In my experience, I have the same impulse that everybody does. You want to get out right. of it. Uh, but it's also find it difficult because uh, I still have a recurring pain. Uh, it's hard for me to sit still. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my, my attention flits all over the place. I want to move. I want to get, it's, it's almost, yeah. almost running away from this whole thing rather than embracing mm-hmm. it. And how do you handle that? Boy, I, I don't, I mean, I think for me, my my physical pain, you know, one of the things that, that I think I've been challenged on recently is um, that idea that if that if we don't turn towards others in our pain, we'll become absorbed with our own pain. Ooh, that's good. And okay. that has been such a challenge to me. And, and I know that that's a journey that, that comes with healing and and you can't rush that. But, but as God does that work in our heart, um, there comes a point, I, I think, where where we begin to to turn away from our own pain, and so then those moments where I either am in physical pain or I'm feeling discouraged, it's that reminder to again look to the cross and to see how in Jesus's pain he he was still pouring himself out towards others. And so I think in those moments I've been I've been learning to to begin praying for other people in that yes. in that moment, or maybe you send a text message to somebody else and and trying to di- divert my own attention. Um, from my pain to the to the pain of others, and I think that was something you really helped me with. I remember when we had lunch, you brought up the idea. We were kind of talking about the different uh, sort of perspectives on suffering between yeah. Catholics and Protestants, and you really helped me understand redemptive suffering, and, that, and that's very much a part of of the Catholic understanding of redemptive yes. suffering. And that was so helpful for me in understanding the difference there and the real benefit of that, and just how in my own pain I can begin to to connect with somebody else and to be praying for them, thinking of them, ministering to them. And that has a way of taking the attention and focus off of myself. That, that's been a benefit to me. Thank you. Good talking about this. I want to talk more because I do think this is critical. My guest, Patrick Twink, how to suffer when the end is unknown. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Patrick Schwenk. He and his wife, Ruth, are author of a wonderful book called In a Boat in the Middle of a Lake, Trusting the God Who Meets Us in Our Storm. Uh, you wrote this while you were in remission. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking now that you're battling this cancer again, would you, what would, you re- would you write this differently? But it's, it's funny you mention that because there have been times where now as I've had a re- you know, relapse, I've gone back and I've, I've gone and said, oh, boy, did I write that? That's, that's, <laughs> do I still believe that? You know, yeah, so there have yeah, been times right. where I've gone back and I've had to reread my own words yeah. uh, to remind myself of, no, that really is true. And, and there are things, you know, I think you, 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 every book you write, you go back and go, oh, I wish I would have said this. <laughs> or, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Um, right. But yes, I, I, I have been many times have had to go back to the book and remind myself of what was true when the cancer was in remission is still true yeah. of God. Yeah. And he's still good. He's still faithful, um, even with this relapse that, that we're battling right now. Why don't I go back to this question of, of redemptive suffering? Um, uh, 
this was a something of a new idea for you when yeah. we talked about it. And what? How does it differ from the way, as a Protestant pastor, you taught about suffering? Yeah, I mean, I think I think oftentimes, and I never taught this as a pastor. This wasn't my theology, but there are there are strands within within Protestantism that do teach sort of this health and wellness yeah. gospel that that suffering is in some way a reflection of a lack of faith or something you're doing wrong. And of course, there is biblically room for that idea that that some suffering is a result yeah. of, of God wanting to discipline us, but He does it for our good, like right. a father disciplines his children. But I think that there is that um, you know that sort of that prosperity gospel. Um, you know, theology that is, in my opinion, unbiblical and not helpful for those that, yeah. that are suffering. And so I think what has been most helpful in understanding redemptive suffering has been, yeah, that idea that there is great meaning, there's great purpose in our suffering, um, and that that even when we can't see, even when, like you were saying, it seems disproportionate, yeah. that God is using it for our good, and, um, and that, that there are things, and I was sharing with you a couple weeks ago when I was in, like, I just know Jesus differently today than I did three years ago. Yes. And the intimacy I have with with God is so profoundly different. And yeah. I'm so grateful for that. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a stage four throat cancer survivor. He's yeah. been cancer free now for I think over 17 years. And he'll often say, I wouldn't wish cancer on my worst enemy, but I also wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm. And so there are so many things that I think suffering that, that God, again, uses that in his wisdom, he allows it um, and he uses it for our good to draw us into a deeper, closer relationship with himself. Yeah. And But I think that part of redemptive suffering, of understanding that that there is great meaning and, and purpose and the idea of connecting our suffering to somebody else's suffering with with God. Yeah. Um, now, it, tell me how you do that. How do you turn and kind of connect your suffering with others? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, one of the, the things that I have done just very practically mm-hmm. in that area has been as I start to, as I, as I find, because, you know, it's, you know, pity can be a very, self-pity can be a very sneaky, um, a sneaky temptation. Yeah. And as I find myself falling prey to that, I, I have been just by God's grace, you know, trying to turn my attention to other people that I know are suffering. And so it, it looks like very practically when I feel myself starting to feel sorry for what I'm going through or the yes. things that I'm, you know, uncertain about, I begin to pray for a friend of mine who I know is experiencing heart failure, for example, mm-hmm. or a friend of mine who just had a miscarriage um, and begin to pray for them and intercede for them. Or I, or I may send them a text message, encourage them with a Bible verse. And so those are very just simple kind of practical ways that, that I try to take my suffering or the focus of my suffering off of myself and connect that person uh, or connect with that person and, and really be in praying for them uh, in that way. And so um, I know that sounds very simple, very basic, yeah. um, but it's a way of, again, I, I think that, that if we don't turn to others in our suffering, we can very easily become absorbed with our own suffering. Yeah, very, very well said. I mean, it is a discipline. Yeah, that you you've got to adopt it like a discipline. Right. You know, this is this is my rule, so to speak. Um, wanted to ask too about uh, the family, and how how much do you disclose to the children? Yeah. What how how much are they aware? Yeah. Um, do 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 they see you in pain, or do you shield them from that? Yeah, you know that, that I. When when I found out um, that I was, you know, it, my diagnosis, we had actually just picked up our oldest son, Tyler, who was 15 at the time, from a homeschool co-op that he's a part of here in Ann Arbor. So Ruth was driving. I was in the passenger side seat. I was waiting for, uh, for a call from the doctor's office because I knew lab work. Uh, I was going to get news about lab work. 
um, that day. And so we had picked up Tyler and a friend of his. They were sitting in the back seat. Shortly after we picked them up, we were on our way home. The nurse called with the news. And I found the only scrap piece of paper I could find in our car and scribbled a word that I'd never heard of in my life. And I think the nurse understood that I was confused. I, I wasn't sure uh, what was happening. And so she finally stopped me and said, this is a type of blood cancer. Um, and I'm so sorry. And so we got the news with my oldest son in the in the back um, of the car. And so I, it, it took everything inside of me not to disclose that at that okay. moment. And so I carried that news with me mm-hmm. until we got home and sent Tyler. You know, we dropped his friend off. And then sent our son Tyler in uh, inside, and then my wife and I sat um, in our driveway uh, for about a half hour. And of course, there were lots of tears, conversations. But that question came up: How do we tell the kids? Right. right. And so I had called uh, a mentor of mine again, who was who was a stage four cancer survivor, and he said something I think really important to me. And he didn't mean it as as pressure. But he said, you know, you only get one chance to tell your kids. And I know that that sounds like a lot of pressure, and he didn't mean it that way. He just meant that you've got an incredible opportunity, um, sorry, ahead of you to model for your kids what it looks like to walk with God, trust him, love him, and serve him in the uncertainty of this cancer diagnosis. And so that was so helpful for me in that moment. And it really provided, I think, for, for Ruth and I, a very helpful uh, perspective and how we were going to try to to walk through this with kids. For, we have four kids. Yeah. Uh, today they're 18, 16, 14, and 12. And so we waited about two days uh, to tell them. They, I think they knew something was wrong. Um, and so we, we waited about two days, and then we actually had them come down, and uh, we sat in the family room. And um, I, I sat them down and, and we you know just had this really honest conversation. I told them I wanted them to know enough, but not too much. Mm-hmm. And so we told them that something was wrong with my blood. We were waiting to find out what it, what it meant and how the doctors were going to treat it. But I told them three things. I said, I want you to remember three things. I want you to remember that God is good, no matter how this turns out, um, that God is good. And um, secondly, God is going to use this in our lives. He's going to grow us. He's going to teach us. Um, he's going to draw us closer together as a family. He's going to draw us closer to himself. And the third thing that I told our kids is I said, I want you to watch the church. Um, and what I meant by that is I want you to watch the way the church loves us and prays for us and supports us during this time. Cause I want our kids to grow up to not only love Jesus, but I want, I want them to love the church. Yeah. And yeah. so that was the way we shared the news with them. And I think over the last couple of years, I mean, they've seen us, um, you know, walk through this and we haven't done it perfectly by any means. But I think we have tried to be careful. Um, we, we know that it's a heavy burden for them. And so we've been very careful not to say too much to them. And we've tried to really uh, have some of those conversations, you know, just, just between Ruth and I when they're necessary. But we tell them just enough yeah. uh, that they need to know and not all at once. And so hopefully, we'll, and time will tell, that, um, that God is going to use this in their own life uh, to bring about, you know, real faith in them as they've watched mom and dad walk through this and still trust God yeah. uh, in the midst of uh, being in a storm. Do you, were you ever tempted to, uh, instead of turning to God, turn to uh, others who may not really have been those you're supposed to turn to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we, we talk about in the book how suffering comes with choices and mm-hmm. that, that suffering in and of itself doesn't change us, but it's who we turn to in the midst of our suffering that has the power to change us. And whether you're going through a, a spouse that, that has been unfaithful or has left you or you've, it's a miscarriage or some kind of physical illness, I mean, every suffering, every trial we face comes with choices of who we're going to turn to and where we're going to look for salvation, where we're going to look for comfort, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that that's one of the challenges of suffering is that there are a lot of unhealthy ways, ungodly ways to cope with the pain, the uncertainty, the fear uh, that we face when we hit those trials, if it's the loss of a child, whatever it is. And I, and I think that that's, that's one of the challenges that we face, that there's only one person we can turn to that can really um, sustain us and strengthen us with real joy, real happiness, real security, and that's God Himself. Um, what is the difference between trying to be like Jesus and desiring to be with Him? Yeah, I, I think oftentimes when we think about the spiritual life, you know, we think about um, trying to grow in Christ likeness, yeah. and we get so focused on wanting to be like Him. Yeah, <laughs> and yet I, I think real discipleship, you know, is is you know the the real the, the goal is to be with Jesus, and when you're with Jesus, you're going to become like Him. And we get those backwards sometimes. That that I think biblically, when you look at the New Testament, there's this real union, right, that happens. That we are in Christ. You know, Paul says, "I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God." And so there's this real union with Christ. We're in Christ, and He's in us. And through the power of the Spirit. God is changing us, and as we are opening ourselves up to God through the reading of Scripture, or through church, or, you know, through the sacrament, I mean, we're, we're being changed and transformed by being with Christ. And so, I think our goal, as we as we walk through trials and suffering, is is we want to be with Him. Um, and as we're with Him, we're going to continue to be molded to, to become more and more like Him. That's, I mean, that's profoundly encouraging for people. I yeah. mean, I just got noticed today of. Uh, a friendly acquaintance of mine, a man I would count a friend. We haven't spent a lot of time together, but we've known each other for many, many years. He's a priest. And um, I didn't realize that he had um, come down uh, with cancer. Mm-hmm. And actually today, I was told maybe the day he goes to eternity. Mm-hmm. So I wrote to a friend wow. of mine, and I said, hey, did you know this? And this person actually had been in touch. Mm-hmm. And he wrote back and said that um, of my friend who was stricken, and maybe entering eternity today, he has been longing to see Jesus as long as I've known him. Mm. Big loss for us, but he's been longing to mm. see Jesus. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, to me, that's tremendously encouraging yeah. that you can move from this. I mean, I, I like to talk about, you know, the one thing necessary is our attempt to be conformed to Christ, yeah. you know? And and that is that's that, that's on my mind. That's kind of the um, yeah. when you boil down uh, all the doctrine and theology and St. Yeah. Paul's letters. Really, the aim is conformity to Christ, yeah. reproducing His life in us. Uh, and I do not think a lot about going to be with Him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, let me come back and pick that up with okay. you again. Yep. Okay. Patrick Schwenk is my guest. He is battling a rare form of blood cancer for people his age. He was in remission for two and a half years, and it came roaring back. And we're talking about what it's like to live with that uncertainty. And again, he's in the midst of it. 
We're going to continue on the other side of the break. Sharing the storms that uh, he and his family have gone through, uh, five miscarriages, and then uh, a rare blood cancer uh, that is a, was in remission for two and a half years. But all of a sudden, it's back. And we're talking to him as he's in the midst of this storm and trying to understand what it's like to be faithful. And before the break, we were talking about the difference between trying to be like Jesus and desiring to be with Jesus. If you don't mind, uh, elaborate a little bit more on that, because St. Paul, of course, seems to have that attitude. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the, the, you know, the, I was going for a walk with a, with a dear friend of mine who lives in our neighborhood, and we were kind of talking about this idea of, of you know, life here on earth and, and longing for heaven. And I was sharing with him that for the first time, I can honestly say that I love Jesus more than I love my life mm. and wow. that, that I treasure him more um, than, than even my, now I have moments where, of course, I want to, I want to live, I'd love to, to live long enough to, to be a grandparent. And I pray yes, that, yes. that God gives me, but, but I, I long to be with Jesus. Uh, I love Jesus. I trust him. And, um, there is a longing I have for him that I didn't have three years ago, and there's a longing for heaven that I didn't have. Yeah. And, and so I can honestly say that for the first time in my life, I really do love Jesus more than I love my own life. And I think we were talking at the break that, that I think that's really what, what the Apostle Paul yeah. was getting Philippians at. Right? Philippians 121, yeah. Yeah, that, that to die is, is gain. For me to and live is Christ to, and to die is gain. Yeah, and just yeah. That, that attitude that he understood to, to experience long life was was a gain. It, that there was a benefit to that. It mm-hmm. was to go on faithful service for Christ, but there was a great gain in dying to go home to be with with uh, with Christ. Yeah. And so that has been something that, again, by God's grace, he, He's done in just my own heart. So this wasn't true back uh, in the first bout with cancer. You wouldn't say you had that hunger for heaven. I would say that that, that was the the begin. I was beginning to experience yeah. that. Okay. And and when the cancer came back, it it sort of. It, it puts on the front burner, um, you know, the, those things that, that you were thinking about and wrestling with. But I, I really be, believe that that's when it began. Um, you know, I was with, you know, my dad passed away suddenly in a car accident in, 2000 and, in November of 2010. And then almost to the day, my mom passed away in wow. November of 2012. And, of course, I wasn't with my dad when, when he passed away. That was suddenly. And, but I, my sisters and I had the opportunity, the privilege of being with my mom when she passed away and we were there, we, we had the opportunity to, to hold her hand. And I'll never forget that shortly before she passed away, she opened her eyes for one last time. And, um, and I remember she, she, you know, I, I remember sort of joking that she looked at me, she looked at, I said, Oh man, of all things, your last look at earth, you know, she, she got to see me. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, mom. There's a lot of other things you could have seen your last look, but, but it occurred to me later on, she wasn't taking her last look here on earth. She was taking her la- her first look in heaven. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, her eyes were being opened, um, to being in the presence of God. And, and it reminds me of what, what Paul says in second Corinthians, um, you know, for where, you know, outwardly we're wasting away, but in, inwardly in we're being renewed, being renewed, renewed yeah. day by day. And, and so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And just that idea of, of living with that eternal perspective, that longing to be with Christ. And I remember when my mom passed away in that moment going, oh, I wish that I, I wish that my eyes could see what her eyes see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And what a sweet day that will be. What, what an incredible day when all of our weeping turns to worship yeah. and our eyes um, you know, see Christ for who he really is. And it, it's all worth it. Um, and we begin to to understand more fully what what it means to be in the presence of God. Yeah. What a, what an incredible encouragement for those of us that are walking through difficult times. St. Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, the passage we were discussing there. Uh, I just want to read it because it, it is such a confirmation of what you just said. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Yeah, yeah. So that's a growing reality for you. It is, it is. And I think, you know, when you're, when you're young, when you're healthy, um, you don't think about heaven as much. And, and yet that's part of, I think, the journey. That's part of the spiritual life that, that God is, is cultivating in us, this, this longing for, for what lasts for eternity. And, and suffering is, I think, one of the ways that God uses, um, you know, I think God uses suffering to open our eyes to, to that which is eternal yeah. and, to, and yeah. to create in us a, a longing. And that's kind of, you know, Romans 8, you know, Paul, Paul talks about that as well, that we're waiting. You know, we, we groan inwardly as, yes. as we're waiting. And that there really is that I think suffering provides a unique opportunity for for the Spirit of God to stir in us new longings for that which will last forever. Did you did you go through a period, the Mark four thirty eight period, where Jesus is asleep in the boat? Yeah, <laughs> and the disciples are saying, "Don't you care for us? Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with you? You're laying there asleep. Don't you care for us? Do you did you have to pass through a period where you said, Lord? Here I am. I'm, I'm serving you. Yeah. Uh, uh, raising a family, uh, a church family. Um, don't don't you care for me? Yeah. Yeah. It really. It, I think you go through anybody that that experiences. I think you know news like that. Again, it doesn't have to be cancer. You 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 can't help but have some of those thoughts and yeah. some of those emotions. And yeah, because I think the disciples, they, they ask a question not about God's existence, but about his character. That's right. Right. And so it's, right. it's not so much does God exist, but is this what you're What like? kind of God is this? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just C.S. Lewis, you know, um, you know, question there. And, and so I, I think that there was a season, and, and fortunately, by God's grace, that season, those thoughts were, were very short. I mean, I, I've been in ministry for 20 years, yeah. and so we've sat with people and mourned with people and walked through people. But this was the first time I was the one on the stretcher. Yeah, And I think this is where we really need to, our theology helps us, where when we understand um, where we're at in God's story, the story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, I think this is where um, a right understanding of who God is and where we're at in, in God's redemptive story that, that can guard against mm-hmm. um, that. And so I think that was helpful for me going, you know, th- this is, I'm not immune to suffering. And just because I'm a pastor, just because we're, we're doing, you know, his work, like we're not immune to this, yeah. that the kingdom is already, but it's also not yet. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so we very early on, wanted to have the perspective of God, okay, now, if this is what you're asking us to walk through, how do we steward our suffering well? And, and how do we use this for your glory, the, the good of other people? How, how does this make me a better parent, a better pastor? Right. And so we quickly shifted to that by God's grace. So you also, though, write about lamentation 
yeah. it's a kind of lamentation is a neglected prayer. It uh, is. A form of prayer for yeah. us. And you write about it uh, in the book. The Psalms certainly have a lot of lamentation. The prophet Jeremiah. Um, what is your lamentation like? You know that you want to be with him. What do you lament? Yeah. I think the heart of lament is, it's, you know, it's those honest cries of sorrow, right? And so the Psalms are, you know, a third of the Psalms are laments. There's they're honest cries of the heart. It's, it's yeah. naming those things that we, that we um, know are not right. Um, this isn't the way you made the world, God. This wasn't your original intent. And so I think lamenting is, is putting language um, to those hurts, to those disappointments, to the things that we know are not right with God's creation right now, but they will be one day when he returns. And so I think it's completely right and, and appropriate and even necessary for our healing to learn to lament and to grieve loss, to grieve the mm-hmm. way the world is. And so I, I have grieved that a 43-year-old shouldn't get cancer. Right, right. Um, a vigorous 43-year-old. Yeah, and, and so I think you lament those things. You, you lament the, the thought that then maybe my kids will walk down the aisle someday uh, without their dad or the thought of your wife you know, alone or remarrying. All of those things I think are right and appropriate to lament because that's not the way things are supposed to be. That's not the way God made the world. That, that you know, death and suffering are, are a great enemy. Death is said to be the last enemy that Jesus um, will defeat. Yeah, and, and amazing passage and so, in 1 Corinthians And so 15. we acknowledge all those things. We lament those things, but we, we mourn them with hope, right? That, that Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians. And so I think depending on the church tradition we come from, um, lamenting is sometimes not encouraged. I think sometimes we, we're not given permission right, within our right. church circles um, <laughs> that we're supposed to have it all together and we're just supposed to have more faith and lamenting is seen as a sign of weakness and nothing could be further from the truth, yeah. that, that it's a reflection of our humanity and, and honest spirituality is a healthy spirituality. And so we need to learn to lament and, and to name those things we know are not right. You write about but, being honest about the hurt. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a, one of the points that you make. Absolutely. In the book. Yep. Uh, and... Um, who are you honest with about that? Who do you share information with? Yeah, how much information do you share? That's a great, a great question, and something I think I've I've learned this time around with yeah. with my battle. Um, there's a great line I think uh, Saint Faustina. Um, she she uh, said that that you know Jesus guard my guard my lips guard guard my lips. Um, from the fragrance of my suffering being known, um, only you, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing here, but guard my lips from, um, you know, from the fragrance of my suffering being known um, only by you. And what she was saying is that I want to be careful that, that, I'm, that I'm voicing my concern and my lament um, to you alone. I, I don't want to rely um, too much on other people. Right, and I, right. know I, I know I didn't quite say it the right way there. Um, and so I think it's very appropriate to go to some people and, and to lament that. And, and to, there, there's obviously great benefit within the body of Christ. But learning to go, you know, nobody understands my suffering like Jesus does. Nobody knows what it's like to be alone, to be abandoned. Um, and to look to Jesus on the cross, to look to him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and to reflect on, on the way he felt alone, he felt scared, um, his sweating of, of, you know, drops of blood, you know, all of those things that Jesus does leading up to the cross, and yet he surrenders to the Father. Um, I think 
that for me, it, that's been a lesson in learning to, to first and foremost, take my lament, my hurt, my sorrow to Jesus. Yeah. And to be careful good. of not voicing that to other, other people too much mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and guarding my lips. I sing God to guard my lips. I, I want my suffering to be known first and foremost to you because you're the only one who understands my suffering because you suffered for me. That's an important point, isn't it? Um, because nobody can really grasp what you're right. going through yep. like he can. And I think that's the danger of being, you know, we can get hurt in our hurt because we can look <laughs> too much to other people and yes. go, well, they didn't love me the way that I, they didn't yes. ask about yes. me. They, they didn't follow enough. up with me. And, and the reality is even the closest of friends, even the best of friends or the, or the best spouse is not going to love us in the way that only God can. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's the heart of that, that phrase by St. Faustina, that, that idea that, that I want my hurt, I want to take my, my wounds to the wounds of Christ, because only he can soothe me um, fully and, and, um, and satisfy my deepest longings. So are you, um, are you still teaching, preaching? Uh, I know you wrote the book. Yeah, so. I, I just started um, preaching. I just preached for the first time about two weeks ago. So mm-hmm. I had about, about eight weeks off. Mm-hmm. And so um, our church family has been incredible. They've, they've loved great. us through this and supported us through that. And they've, uh, you know, especially that first battle, I was, we used to joke, you know, I, I cried through every sermon. <laughs> and so um, God has given me much grace this time around and uh, so much greater joy, greater hope. Uh, through this this relapse, and so I just started preaching again, and so they're very they're very um, uh, gracious with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been gracious with us to share this while you're in well, the midst you. of it. Thank you for the yeah, thank you. And uh, Patrick Schwenk and his wife Ruth have written in a boat in the middle of a lake, trusting the God who meets us in our storm. I'm Al Cresta.